Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Welcome in. It's a Thursday morning. The NFL week starts tonight with a Thursday night game. Get your fantasy football lineups in, people. And the news is out. The Raiders going to be on TV this weekend. How excited are all you Raider fans? For all of you who are adopting the Raiders because they're now in Vegas, you can go, or maybe you've always been Raider fans, uh, they're getting the treatment, the full-on treatment. They're playing the Patriots, so that helps, right? It's a, it's a regional weekend. There are no national TV games for CBS. Um, they're regionalizing games. But most of the country is going to see the Raiders. Can they get to 3-0? and Are they on to something with Gruden in the third year? They're sending Nance and Romo to the game. So it's not just coming to Salt Lake. This is going to about, it looks like, half to two-thirds of the country. So The Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chiefs. Those are the teams we're going to see most of the year here. And it looks like for the third straight week, they're all going to be on TV. All right, enough of that. Let's get to the college football. BYU Saturday night playing Troy. 8-15 ESPN. How good is Troy? How good is that defense? Can they stand up to the offensive line? The Cougars meeting with the media this week. Here is BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. Hey, I wanted to ask about where you feel like the team's preparedness is. You guys have gone through a couple weeks. You know, last week you had to do the, you know, kind of the platoon thing, the, you know, being a little bit different as far as practice went. What do you feel like this team's readiness is right now to be ready to play a game on Saturday? Yeah, you know, obviously practice-wise as far as just getting the scheme down of the play call sheet, whatever we're doing this week, you know, not quite there, but last week we stayed on top of, you know, everything physically that has to go on in a game. And uh, we hit the weight room hard. We made sure we were staying on top of timing and, and routes versus there and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think by Saturday we'll be hundred percent ready to go. Zach, you guys did so many great things against Navy, but it's going to be almost three weeks between games. Is there a way to carry that over? Or have you been able to maintain that level throughout practice? Or do you feel like you're almost like starting over like it's a whole new training camp going into week one? Yeah, you know, I feel like uh, those last three weeks went by pretty quick. I think we had one week of practice. Last week was the first week we had that was really just off. And, um, you know, it was really only off from practice. We still had our our groups where we were able to go throw. And, um, you know, personally for me, I feel like I I got exactly what I get in and practice done anyways, except for the live reps of going against the defense. So once we get that in this week, I think the guys are going to be going to be ready to go. you know, I wouldn't say it feels quite like a training camp again, but um, we did a little bit of training as far as in the weight room training camp to, to be ready. Okay, let's go Shep and then Jay Drew. Zach, uh, two questions about their defense. First and foremost, what do, what do you know so far in looking at the, at the film about their defense? And then, and then on top of that, their defense over the last couple of years, it's been one of the best in the country at forcing turnovers as the quarterback. How aware are you in a game when you face a team that they have that history of, of being a team that forces turnovers? Yeah. You know, you gotta be aware that that's how, you know, they try and they try and win the game is by causing you to do things that you, you shouldn't be doing in the, as part of the off- offensive scheme. You know, I think we just have to understand what they're giving us on defense. I think that's one of the hardest things is, you know, it might look like a, a, a too high shell and then they roll to one or, you know, there's not really a post safety, but he looks like he's supposed to be playing post safety, you know, so they try and do some things to mix you up and um, try and disguise where guys are at on the field. And so you just kind of got to be aware of where everyone's at. Did you have two questions? Go ahead, Jay. 
Hey, Zach, when, uh, if a position group gets COVID or gets the contact tracing, it could wipe out the whole group. At quarterback, that could be a major problem, obviously. Have they done any special uh, considerations for you or for other quarterbacks to, to keep you kind of safe from this thing, as, if at all possible? Yeah, we're just talking about it in the film room. You know, we all got to have our masks on, stay as far away as we can from each other in the film room. And um, outside of that, you know, at practice, we got to wear our masks. We got to, you know, stay away from each other in the weight room. Um, you know, the biggest thing is the contract uh, tracing goes goes back to, you know, I would say who you're living with is one of the biggest issues we've had. And, um, you know, I, I personally got to, you know, find a spot for myself to live on my own. You know, that's not really anything the coaches can do. I know they, they want to urge that, but that's something that we have to do. And so um, if we really want to play this season without any issues, I probably got to go find somewhere else to live so that if any of my roommates get it, I'm not stuck and, and I'm out. So you're going to do that or you've done that? Yeah, that's the plan. So I'm, I'm technically exempt right now because I already, I already had it back, you know, whatever. So I'm in my 90 days still. So, um, I'm exempt until the LaTeX game. Okay. Let's go Norma and then Jared Lloyd. Um, during the Navy game, you guys were impressive on all three phases of the ball, but most dominant, uh, on offense. Do you feel that that offense given the, the amount of break that you guys have had, we'll still be able to provide the same type of performance. And is that something we can expect to see throughout the rest of the season as well? Yeah, for sure. You know, we have some veteran guys, I think even taking three weeks off of not having live reps is uh, not going to matter for this team. I think everyone's just ready to go and, and guys are handling their business and um, you know, we're going to come out ready to play on Saturday. Um, honestly, I'm not too worried about it at all. Um, all around and um, through all three phases of the team. And um, I'm just excited for these guys to, to go out and, and play because I honestly think it's one of the best offenses we've had in a while. Zach, I asked Kalani about this, but I want to get your opinion as a student athlete. You guys are dealing with the football side, the social side. What's the academic side been like? I know a lot of guys are taking just online classes, but that can be tough as far as what you're gaining, you know, as far as that. So what's the academic side been like for these last, you know, these, these first few weeks of, of classes this fall? Yeah, it's, it's been different. It's harder to, to learn for me. You know, I would say online classes are harder. I'm in all online classes right now. One to try and avoid being around people again on campus and, and two just time management, you know, in the morning you're able to, you know, kind of structure your day to have a little more time for football or whatever it is and get your schoolwork done, you know, but academically it is harder to get some of your stuff done to, to learn and what's going on in your classes. Um, you know, so it is a weird time, but we all kind of just have to sacrifice and adjust if we want to, you know, play football and, and have a good year so these zoom meetings are things you're pretty accustomed to now yeah yeah they're starting to get very very normal <laughs> okay let's go sean walker and then mitch harper yeah zach i won't ask you to go deep dive with us on troy and their defense and game planning and stuff because that's obviously not fair it's monday and whatnot but the Sunbelt teams have this reputation, Sunbelt, Funbelt, of being just fun and exciting and pulling off big upsets. Have you guys kind of talked about that with Troy, about just how motivated they are coming in, how they've – a lot of these teams, I mean, Troy's no exception, they've been able to come into Power 5 programs and beat them and that kind of thing. So you kind of have to be almost on edge, I guess, for an upset alert. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, you know, we're still going to approach the game like normal. I saw it on, on TV the other day when I was watching the Middle Tennessee-Troy game, and I heard the announcers talk about how they had a big win at Nebraska and, and LSU a couple years back. And, you know, I think I think a lot of that, you know, respect to Troy, obviously, but a lot of that comes with lack of LSU and Nebraska coming out ready to play. Um, and I think that's for us. We, we just got to be ready to play. We got to come out and play every single week like we're playing the, you know, the best team in the country and we're playing, um, you know, the best football we can possibly play. So I think that's the message all around this week is guys just got to be ready to play. Zach, uh, as you just mentioned earlier that you already had COVID-19 uh, in the summer, what was your experience like? Were you asymptomatic? What what kind of perspective did that give you going through the being positive for the virus? Yeah, you know, it's hard. I think I got it from me and some of my buddies having a a little, uh, you know, neighborhood. We had a bunch of the football guys over and we were just having a little gambling night, you know, having some fun. And, um, you know, somehow a bunch of us got it, you know, honestly, for me and and the other guys that had it, it was just it was just like a cold, you know, minor symptoms and, um, you know, just tired, fatigued, all that kind of stuff, you know. So for us, it, it was nothing crazy. Um, you know, it was four days and we were we were ready to go again. So it was, it was not bad. All right. Last question, Norma. Uh, continuing off of that, you mentioned that you were just sick for about four days and those minor symptoms, but are you at all concerned about any long lasting effects that we still don't know are possible with COVID? You know, personally for me, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, what Kirk Cousins said a little bit, I know he got harped on for it, but you know, I'm not, I would rather play football than ever worry about any of that kind of stuff. You know, I, I wear a mask to respect those around me. Um, you know, because, you know, uh, a teacher at Corner Canyon that, you know, that I loved while I was there is, is an ICU right now, um, struggling with COVID. So I know it affects everyone differently. Um, but for me, and I know a lot of other guys on the team feel the same way, you know, honestly, we would rather just play football than ever worry about this. There's the Cougars quarterback, Zach Wilson, as BYU prepares for Troy. Depending on where you look, BYU's favored by 14 or uh, 15 points. Let's talk Cougar football next. David Nixon, the former BYU linebacker. He's on BYU TV now. He joins us next to look ahead to the home opener. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, time to talk a little BYU football with David Nixon. Uh, and <laughs> he dropped a line in this interview. I had him on during the show yesterday. He dropped a line. Well, it's Wednesday and the game is still on. It's Thursday now and the game is still on, people. It's always a countdown to the game, right? Because you never know, like uh, with Notre Dame and Wake Forest, suddenly someone's waving the red flag and the game is off. It's an unusual year. All right, here's David Nixon with PK and I. David, good morning. Hey, what's going on, guys? Trying to make sense of a game that uh, normally I would have ignored and doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe you can help. Listen, it's game week. Let's go. Okay, um, so... You, as, as of today, as of Wednesday, BYU is going to play this week. Uh, something can change. <laughs> Definitely in the meantime, hopefully not. But uh, it's game week, so I'm pumped. I don't care who they're playing. It's game week. So it's Troy, 
And Troy smoked Middle Tennessee State, but Middle Tennessee State also got smoked by Army, 42 to nothing. So they're giving up like 45 points a game, so I don't know what to make of that. Navy looked better in their second game, although not until halftime. They got behind 24 to nothing and then rallied to win. So I assume BYU is going to be able to control the line of scrimmage against Troy. Have you seen anything in these games that would enable you to figure that out and give me a definitive answer on whether I'm right or wrong? Yeah, listen, this is what you do when you play teams like Troy and, and non-P5s and frankly not even G5s, really. Uh, you, you tend to have the advantage there in the trenches, right? Offensive line, defensive line, they, they should be able to push uh, those teams around. Where BYU kind of, it's, it's a little bit of a mismatch against a team like Troy. Troy's got athletes all over the field. I mean, you look at the wide receiver position, the DB position. Um, a lot of these guys are guys that couldn't qualify for the Auburns and Alabamas and things like that, so they had to settle with going to – kind of a smaller college uh, that has easier uh, exception uh, acceptance rates. And so that's where I think BYU sometimes struggles with these type of teams because they've got team speed. Uh, they don't necessarily have team size, uh, like I said, down the trenches. But um, it'll, it'll be interesting. And this is what Troy likes to do. If you watch the film, you watch the LTC State game, they love to air it out. They like, like to go five wides, four wides, and, uh, and air it out and try to test you. So – um, BYU better be up to the task. I mean, it's, it's a completely different game plan than what BYU saw against Navy as far as defensively. Uh, BYU opted to go with a 3-4 defense and shut down the triple option. Now you got to shift back to your base defense, which BYU is going to that 4-2-5 this year, play more DBs and get ready to have a lot more nickel and uh, be able to, to defend against the kind of the air raid, if you will. So, um, yeah, very interesting matchup. And I think this will show a lot of fans where BYU is at because this is a team that, you know, they've, they've had some upsets in their past against um, FBS teams, and so uh, BYU's got to be prepared because it's one of those teams that can come up and sneak up on you. Yeah, you know, when you score 55 points and you're not doing it in any fluke manner, I don't think of looking back, I don't know that there was any special team scores or defensive scores. It was basically the offense just shoving the ball down Navy's throat. That's going to get a lot of the attention. But on the same flip side, if you're only giving up three, that's impressive too. But it didn't seem like BYU's defense was the story of the game. It was more about the offense and up front and how they had the running backs averaging, uh, what, 15, 16, 17 yards between the top two. So I wanted to focus on defense. Now, um, for the life of me, David, if you would have told me that I spent a Saturday watching Troy football on television, I would have told you you were nuts. But nevertheless, that's what I did because I don't didn't know a whole lot about Troy and I wanted to get educated, so the game was on television and we don't have a big uh, plethora of games to choose from. Obviously, we didn't last week. So I came away thinking this team offensively doesn't seem that bad and will be able to give BYU more of a test. So I'm really intrigued to just see how good is this BYU defense. Do you have any insight in terms of how good they really are? Well, I'll say this. Uh, you know, when you talk about the defense specifically, this linebacker core, I may mention this last week, I think this is the best linebacker core BYU's had in, in probably a decade, frankly. I think here and there, BYU's had uh, standout linebackers like Calvin Noy and Fred Warner, guys who really pop. But as a collective unit, uh, this linebacker core, it's, it's solid top to bottom. And, and the thing is, because of injuries last year that BYU had uh, with the linebacking unit, then you had a lot of young guys, Max Tooley, Peyton Wilgar, starting as freshmen that got a lot of game reps. And so now those guys came back off injury, and now you've got this whole linebacker room that's got awesome experience and, and it's uh, got guys that play in games. And so 
that's where the, this this linebacker unit specifically is is very experienced and, and very impressive. Now you go to the secondary in the same type of deal. You had Zane Anderson who was out last year, Troy Warner who was out last year. Next, you know, you bring them back in along with the young guys that had to play uh, because they were out, and that adds experience as well. And so this this defensive unit, I I think they're the real deal, and, and I I honestly think this is one of the best defenses Colony has had. And so it's kind of unfortunate that it hits during the year of COVID when. You can't really, you know, show and demonstrate how good your team is. Uh, but, I, I, you know, this week will be a great test. Like I said, Troy's going to try and air it out more, so they'll definitely test the secondary and the linebackers, and we'll see if they're up to the test. But, like I said, completely different type of game plans, and it'll be interesting to see, yeah, is BYU the real deal? I think everyone's still asking themselves that, right? You, you, you thought maybe, uh, but, you know, can they, really, uh, can they really go put together back-to-back impressive performances? We'll see. Former Cougar linebacker David Nixon join us, BYU TV football analyst. So I'm curious if all this uh, athletic ability you're talking about, does it leave you worried about special teams? Do you expect big plays there? You know, yeah, obviously these type of teams have great return, you know, pun returners and, and kickoff returners. I, it doesn't worry me too much. BYU prides themselves in special teams. Ed Lamb does a great job of coaching those guys up. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think they're fine in that aspect of the game. Uh, you know, BYU didn't have a lot of chances to punt since last game. We know that, uh, that you know, our BYU special teams is, is pretty solid in that arena. So uh, Jake Olroy did kicker and, and, uh, and things like that. So I think we're excited to see more of a standard game, probably a little more back and forth versus just the BYU offense being on the field the whole game and defense shut them out, you know, three and out every time. So um, I, I think it should be a good game. I think BYU still wins this one by double digits. Uh, but but I think it'll be more of a test than we saw uh, against Navy. So you speak of those linebackers. It reminds me of a conversation I had long, long time ago. Elaine Michaelis, who was a legend at BYU Volleyball, she coached like 40 years, and she told me, I said, you know, what we're talking about success of, of your program, and they, they've had a really good program for a number of years. And she said, well, obviously it's the talent. And she said uh, that in the LDS culture, for whatever reason, we produce pretty doggone good women's volleyball players. So, so we should always be good. Uh, there might be some other sports where it's a little more difficult, uh, but in volleyball, we, we've got an assembly line of talent. And now I'm starting to think that if you go back over, what, last 15, 20 years, you could say the same thing about linebacking core. You included. You were a stud when you played. The biggest tackle in Bronco Mendenhall history down there at uh, TCU. You turned around that program with that sack. I'll never forget that. I was there, uh, and you guys went on to win that game, and I think that was a turning point in Bronco's program. What is it about the linebacking core at BYU? Because it seems like just about every year you got studs. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – it... I know while while we were there and kind of shortly thereafter, we we like to say we're linebacker U because it seemed yeah. to be that was the strongest unit on the defense for for years, and it's kind of manifesting itself now. I I don't know if you can put your finger on one thing. I will say this: it has been interesting. I think when Kalani came to BYU, everyone thought that he'd be able to go out and recruit uh, the big Polynesian defensive lineman, and and BYU would have the same type of defensive lineman uh, or defensive line that Utah has had in years past. But that really hasn't been the case. Uh, you know, look at BYU's defense line. Even this year's spread pretty thin. You've got some good stars in Lorenzo Faltea and Kairos Tonga. Uh, but it just hasn't been the case where that's been the strongest unit on the defense. I think it continues to be that linebacker core. And I think Kalani and, and Elisa Tuiaki realize that, and that's what they're going out, and that's who they're trying to recruit right now are, are fast, strong backers. 
Um, but you also look at it, you know, the, the, the game's changing. And, and we talked about this. Uh, I was actually talking to Taysom about this with even the pro level. Uh, Chase Hansen, you know, made, made the Saints squad, um, at least as of a couple weeks ago. And, and same type of deal. But he's a smaller, undersized backer, uh, but it's all changing to his pure speed. And, and guys can get out and run and cover. And you've seen that with BYU. You've got, you've got uh, Isaiah Kapusi who can get out there and cover. You've got Max Tooley. Um, and, you know, Peyton Wilgar's a little bigger, but you've got to have guys that can, that can also come up and force to run, but that can drop into coverage. And, and that's what BYU's gone with and, and kind of pride themselves off of. And frankly, that's kind of how it was in my day with myself and Kiel um, and, of course, Kyle Vanoy and Fred and, and all those guys. So, it is interesting to watch it kind of come to uh, come to fruition with with the whole linebacker unit, but uh, it's it's uh, you know it's, it's fun to watch. And frankly, I think this year, the, once again, the linebacker unit kind of leads that whole defensive room. So another position group that BYU was good at for a long time. They were good at it until they weren't, but now they're good at it again. Is offensive line? Do you see among the young guys? A chance as these guys go off to the NFL, you know, probably sooner or not later. Do you think they're going to be able to sustain what we've seen on the offensive line? You know, they're, they've got something special going on in that room. I mean, and this might be—I mean, it's no no secret. This might be the best offensive line unit they've had there in decades, you know, in 10, 20 years as well. I mean, as a collective unit. Once again, in, in the past years, you've had big guys, uh, big names there on the offensive line, but. Uh, you, you look at Brady Christensen. You look at Impey, uh Hodge. I mean, this 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 whole offensive line is just impressive. And and not only that, but you've got depth to come for years as well. And and, and to your point, these are kids. Brady Christensen, uh, Impey, These guys were having to start as freshmen and sophomores because the cover was kind of bare, to be honest. Uh, but now that they're upperclassmen, uh, they're going out there and, and balling out. But then what that allows is it allows the freshmen and sophomores that are incoming and, and that allows them to kind of grow up in the program and you don't have to be thrust into starting immediately and go through those growing pains. And so that's when you know you have a solid program is when, I mean, if, if you're starting two or three freshmen, that's not a great sign of, of where you're at with your, your position group, right? Uh, you want to be starting all juniors and seniors. You want those freshmen and sophomores to get some time and kind of garbage time, if you will. Uh, but then you want them to kind of grow and develop. And then when they're upper class in the last couple of years, they start. Uh, and so BYU is at a point where they had to start freshmen, sophomores, but now uh, they're growing that talent and, and coach them up. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that outfit, the line rooms continues just to replenish what they've got going uh, because they've got something special going there. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch. I mean, when you go back and watch that Navy game, it was just, once again, I don't know if it was because Navy wasn't tackling and things like that. We've heard those excuses, but uh you know, tackling during fall camp, but it was just complete dominance. I mean, office, BYU's offensive line were five, six yards down the field uh, before they even touched somebody because there was such a surge and such a push from, from that, that off the line. So uh, they'll get a test this week with Troy. I, I, Troy's not going to lay down like, like Navy did. Um, and so I'm interested to see if they continue to push. But when, you, when you've got, and, and uh, um, PK, you alluded to it earlier, when you've got two backs, Tyler Algier averaged nine yards per carry. Lopini Cattell averaged eight yards per carry. And so when you get two backs in that, in that type of range, you know that it's more up to the offensive line that's creating that surge than really the backs themselves. So this is something you did approximately 25 times in college. And what I'm speaking of is home games. And you came down that ramp, and the stadium was electric, and it's just a great moment. I think that uh, 
it's having been in NFL and been in many many college stadiums over the years. It's more special in college to come down. In your case, it's literally coming down a ramp, and you're running out on that sideline. Crowds going nuts, uh, and it just must be just a, just a full of adrenaline. Not going to have that now because there's going to be nobody there. It's going to be crazy. How different do you think it's going to be? It sucks. It absolutely sucks. I mean, listen, in football, it's pure entertainment, right? You're you're in the you're in the entertainment. Uh, world and, and you're trying to go out there and, and perform for your family, for your friends, your classmates, uh, for all the fans. And, you know, to have the hope that you'd be able to play in front of only 6,000, which is a lot, but it's still something, to all of a sudden get not taken away yesterday, um, it's, it, it sucks. And, uh, you know, for BYU, the good thing is that they've already done this against Navy, right? Navy didn't have any fans, so it's not going to be something new per se. But it is a little bit of adjustment because I think they all thought that they would obviously be playing in front of 6,000 fans and, and into reverse course is, is tough. Uh, you saw Lorenzo Fauteo's uh, tweet yesterday uh, mentioning that it, it sucks because he wants to play in front of his mom and his dad, right? And I get it. I totally get it. And, and as you allude to, BK, uh, um, playing at home is, is special, especially at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. I mean, during our years, we're selling out that stadium and 64,000 people screaming and yelling. I mean, it was it was awesome, and and to not have that opportunity, especially for some of these guys that are seniors, it's a that's a huge bummer. So hopefully they, you know, can get stuff under control and and go back to I guess yellow it is that would allow fans to get back in there. But um, in the meantime, the next two games, it's 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 a bummer because that's you know the thing with football too is football you only get six home games. This year might be different. We'll see what Tom Hummel puts together. But as of now, you get six home games, and it's it's a. Uh, you know, it's not like basketball where you have, you know, what, 15, 20. Um, yeah. You only have so many home games. And, and like you said, throughout your whole career, you only have, call it 24. Uh, each one's special. And if not able to have fans, is, man, it's a huge blow. It's unfortunate. So the team has to create their own energy and excitement. So are you working with uh, Kalani, scripting some dance moves, giving them all your expertise? <laughs> yeah. Listen, if you watch Kalani on the sideline, I don't think they need much help in trying to get their own energy going. I think Kalani's uh, got it figured out from that Navy game. Uh, but listen, the, the team energy happens through the play on the field, right? I mean, I think that the, the BYU is able to sustain that energy throughout the game because they're absolutely dominating. Um, the question is, can you sustain some energy when things go bad? When you do throw an interception, there's a turnover, uh, or you've got some three and outs, and, and your defense is sucking wind, or whatever it may be, who's going to step up on the team to create that energy? Uh, and, and a lot of that, like I said, comes through turnovers or making big plays. And so knowing that, uh, playing at home, you got to come ready, prepared, that somebody's got to step up and be that guy to, to create that energy because – uh, man, it's it's. I, I've never played an empty stadium, so I, I don't know what it feels like. But I got to imagine it's very tough, and and uh, it's just a, it's just a it's got to be a weird feeling. Of course, we played in scrimmages, but heck, even scrimmages, you know, we'd have fans there for for during uh, spring ball, you know. So it's just going to be a it's going to be a weird deal. I'll actually be there at the stadium uh, with the BYU TV crew. We'll do our pre and post game show there. And so uh, I'm interested to really see how what the environment's like. I mean, in the Navy game, you guys recall, you could hear all the checks. The players could hear themselves um, out there, and you could hear even coaches yelling. It was just just a kind of a weird, eerie type feel. But uh, I mean, that's the world we live in right now with COVID. So you'll be broadcasting like normal for for BYU television, doing what you do, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. So we have our set down there in the southwest corner of the end zone. Um, yeah. and, and so we'll broadcast the pre- and post-game show. And then 
we're still trying to figure out where we go sit during the game. If we're allowed to go sit in the stands because nobody's there or whether we're going to be quarantined to a, to a certain section, they're trying to figure all that out right now given the current news. So, so uh, here's what I want then. When BYU scores, I want you to grab the Y flag and run around the field. Yeah, I've been talking to Cosmo. Well, we're going to figure out. Maybe I'll, 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 I'll relieve him. I'll relieve him on the uh, north end zone. I'll, I'll run the I'll run the whole way south. How about that? So, yeah, poor guy. Hey, we haven't talked about Cosmo. Poor Cosmo. I mean, he's just going to be running around there by himself, doing the doing the way to himself. I mean, yeah. Think about Cosmo and this whole thing too. That guy. That guy's waited his whole life to go out there and do it. Backflips all over the field. There's no. There's gonna be nobody there to watch him. I mean, that's just unfortunate. Well, that's why too. you're you're gonna be there. This is your chance, man. <laughs> I'm good. A little too old for uh, backflips, I think. Hey, Cosmo just needs a TV timeout to go nuts at the 20 yard line, and then that's YouTube, that's social media. Cosmo for the win. <laughs> Get some solo dance uh, routines out there by himself. No cougarettes, just just Cosmo on the 50. I like it. Is it handsprings, backflips, somersaults? It'd just be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. David, we appreciate you stopping by. Enjoy the game, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Awesome. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. There's David Nixon, our college football insider. Riley Jensen is talking NFL high schools and college football. Next, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. We had Riley on during yesterday's show. Talking a little uh, college football, but I wanted to hit him up on the high schools as well because he's been talking about the level of high school quarterback. And we keep hearing football is getting better in Utah, eh, but the high school quarterbacks aren't getting recruited. It's not, but it seems it's eyeball test. If you're watching the games, it seems like we're getting a different level of quarterback play now. How will that transfer to the college game? Talk with Riley about that and all the injuries in the NFL is because they didn't play preseason. Plus, a big old dose of college football. Here's Riley. Riley, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. What's going on? Uh, we just talked a little uh, BYU football with David Nixon, and he was talking about uh, BYU's advantage in the line, but the fact that Troy's got a lot of athletes at the skill positions, and they got speed, and they can make big plays. Uh, depending on where you look, BYU's favored by 14 or 15 points. Do you see the game the way David Nixon does and the way the Vegas uh, gamblers seem to? Yeah, it, it feels like to me that that's about right. I do. I do think that if you're a BYU fan and you're watching this game on TV, you're going to be frustrated a, a few times during the game with the athleticism of Troy. There are there are always some skill positions and and maybe one or two guys on the offensive or defensive line that are that are super athletic. They don't have the depth of BYU. They don't have the overall athleticism of BYU. But I do think this game is a little bit is a little bit closer than people think. But I also <laughs> Excuse me. I promise that's just allergies. <laughs> um, I, I do think that um, when when it, when it comes down to it in this game, I think BYU wins by just a little bit more than that. I I see them winning by seventeen to twenty one points. Um, they're just 
they're going to be too physical on the offensive and defensive lines. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Troy to come into an empty stadium to to come and 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 be able to I guess play their best football at BYU. I I've always thought personally, this is just my thought as a former player that traveling and and playing on the road isn't as big of a function of um, that there's there's people in the stands rooting against you as you're staying in a different hotel, you've been in an airplane, you're using a pillow and laying in a bed that you normally don't lay in. If you're not careful with your routines and those sorts of things, you you can get out of sorts really quick and feel lethargic going into a game. And so that's usually why upperclassmen play a little bit better on the road than, than young players do is because they're just used to the routine a little bit and they understand how to get to sleep and 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 deal with the distractions the way that you need to. I don't think it's as big a function as the fans. It's just you're out of sorts a little bit. So I've been in this business a long time, and you talk to offensive coordinators. Uh, we want balance. You know, you can just you hear it roll off their tongue. The cliche: if you're moving the ball whether it's specifically you're having a tremendous amount of success through the air or on the ground, is balance overrated? Um, I don't – so I'll take a little bit di- a different direction on the answer to this. <laughs> when, the, the reason why you want balance is it means you can run and throw, and, and, and it just makes it easier to call as an offense. Um, I've been in situations where – I can run the ball every play, I can pass the ball every play, and pretty much I'm going to look like a hero because I have a great team. And when I when I don't have a great team, I'm I'm usually forced into being one-dimensional. Either all I can do is run the ball or all I can do is pass the ball. That's a much more difficult situation um, to be in. And if I had to choose one, if I was one-dimensional and all I could do was one, Believe it or not, as a former quarterback, I, I would want to be able to run the football. Um, so the balance that they're talking about, I mean, it's a little bit ambiguous in, in my opinion because balance to one team could be 60-40. Balance to another team could be 40-60% on that balance. And so, uh, you know, I I used to I used to think that I wanted my team to be 50-50 overall but that, that that would be hidden a little bit in the fact that at the end of games, we were able to run the ball to, to, to kind of run out the clock. And so it was really that we were 60% pass, 40% run, and then we were winning ball games at the end, and so we were running out the clock. We were, we were padding running stats to make us look 50-50. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, it, it, might, it might be a little bit overrated because – Everybody has a different definition on on what balance means. So what, is, what does balance mean to them, right? So, Riley, you and I were talking about uh, high school football quarterbacks this week, and it seems like you it's kind of something you've been on for the last couple of years, but I think you see the trend kind of intensifying a little bit here, that the quarterback play, we've seen – Offensive linemen, defensive linemen, kickers, linebackers, on down the line get recruited here. But we haven't seen a lot of quarterbacks. 
but you feel like the quarterback play is improving. So I guess, why is the quarterback play improving? Why do you think we're about to see more guys get recruited, and what has to happen for that to, to take place? Well, first of all, you know, to, to be a dual-threat quarterback, <clears throat> you don't have to be a 4-4 guy. You don't have to be unbelievably talented. You, you want to be fast. You want to be one of the faster guys. You want to be... You need to be in the 4-6 range to be able to be a dual threat. And I'm seeing quarterbacks all over the state of Utah that are able to throw and uh, run the ball. What I'm what I'm waiting for, and this is why I'm rooting for guys like Zach Wilson. I'm, I'm rooting for guys like Cam Cooper at Washington State. And I was um, just I, – I, I've been trying to get – what I really want to see in the state of Utah is I want to see a quarterback break through to the next level – you know, Boone Abbott, who's at Hawaii. I want I want somebody to break through to the next level and really light it up because I think that there's more quarterbacks worth recruiting in the state of Utah that are Division One quarterbacks than what are currently being offered. And that doesn't mean that they're not getting offered to the Snow Colleges, they're not getting offered to the to to Weaver State and the Southern Utah. But I think there's some big time quarterbacks in the state. And I want those guys to do well. I want Zach Wilson to do well, Cam Cooper, Boone Abbott, these guys to do really well on the next level so it'll open up the doors for future quarterbacks. Because, I mean, all you have to do is turn on a, a Friday night game and there's quarterbacks running for 200 and throwing for 200. There's quarterbacks throwing for 400 yards and six touchdowns. There's a quarterback over here that's being really solid for his team. And, yeah, he only threw for 214 yards, but he was 14 for 15 for his team. And I just think I just think the quarterback play continues to get better in the state of Utah. And I, I really want him to break through on the next level so that people will not just come in here for what I call the meat and potatoes, which is, you know, offensive, defensive linemen, tight ends, and fullbacks and linebackers. I want him to come in for some of these wide receivers, for some of these, for some of these quarterbacks that are really good, because I, I, I think that they can succeed on the next level. A lot of talk about the Pac-12 getting back together and starting uh, as a player when you were playing. How much time did you need from the time you started practice or training to be game ready? Well, it's a little different than when I was playing because. I remember the first year I was at Utah State, we had 17 days of two-a-days in a row, right? I mean, it was a it was a grind. I mean, 17 days of two-a-days is, is dinosaur-like now. They, they look at us like, what in the world were you trying to do to people? But it gave us an opportunity to get a lot of reps in, to know what the plays were. Yeah, we were a little banged up. We were a little nicked up at the end of two-a-days. But to me, to me, I think... I think you probably need three weeks of at least one a days with meetings, right? Um, to be in 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 good enough game shape. No one's going to be in true game shape till third or fourth game into their season. Um, and I think I don't know. I I don't I don't mean to say this in the in the wrong way, but. I, I feel like players are lifting and working out and running all the time. I actually feel like I, I actually feel, and I've come full circle on this because I used to think it was so important to be in shape and do those things. But I actually feel like um, conditioning and being in shape, in air quotes, 
is more about mental toughness than it is about physical toughness. All these teams by game three, game four, are in great game shape. There's not a problem with game shape. But the teams that got in shape earlier seem to have a mentality. They seem to have a thought process that says, hey, nobody's worked harder than us. I'm a little bit tired here in the fourth quarter, but there's no way that guy's not more tired than me on the other side of the ball because we worked our trash off all season. And I think it just gives a mental edge to teams. So, yeah, I think, I mean, they're talking about four weeks, sure, three weeks, sure. I honestly think you could go two weeks and you could get it done. But but right now we live in a CYA world, right? you gotta, you got to cover your assets, and and um, there's a lot of different things going on as far as health and the injury and all that kind of stuff, and nobody wants to look bad. So to me, they're probably going to err on the side of going a little bit longer than shorter. So in the NFL, we saw just a whole series of ACL injuries. There are some other injuries, too, and I think some of them can just be explained that there's injuries every week in the NFL, especially the contact injuries with the way people get hit and fall on each other and all that. But there were some odd injuries out in space that didn't seem normal. Do you, do you think they missed the preseason games on some level and you know playing a couple series in one game and then a quarter and then a half? Does that really matter, or was this just bizarro bad luck? And, and I wonder how it translates to these colleges as they restart as well. Well, I feel like it's a little bit of bizarro bad luck, but here's, here's where I think college game is a little bit different than the pro game. There's there's a lot more time on your own in the offseason. Yeah, they have OTAs. Yeah, they have some things. But there's a lot of time where you're working out on your own. And if if some of these professionals who are making a lot of money, um, you know, they're 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 living through COVID. You know, maybe maybe they just want to. If they don't have the mindset to make sure that they're being a pro. You know, it, it could lead to, to lack of working out. Now, here I am, you know, way out of shape talking about somebody like Joey Bosa, you know, hitting a knee injury and saying he might be out of shape. But I, I, I feel like there's more, there's more of that. There's more room for error in the program than there is in college game. In college, it's like you show up, you go to the weight room every day, it's on the board, you've got to kick it out. You've got to be. You've got to do what's asked of you, or else there's penalties. There's penalties of, you know, running extra. There's penalties of not being included on, you know, the travel team. Those different things. So sometimes I think it's that, but I I, I probably lean towards a bizarre world type thing. Um, I just don't. I just don't know that. You know, I mean. Most of the time when you see a knee injury and there's nobody around them, it's pretty serious, right? It's, it's the knee injury. The knee injuries that I worry about are the guys that are avoiding hitting people in the head and they're, they're taking people's knees out. I feel like, and, and this is just me, this is just my opinion, but I watch the NFL and I watch college football and, man, I would be covering up my knees now. It, it's, it's definitely changed since we had the concussion panic a few years ago, like everybody's taking knees out. And I just, I just look at it and go, whew, that this is a tough game because, because those knees, I mean, that's their weapons. A lot of these guys, that's their weapon. Right. But it's interesting. I, I, I wonder, you know, for a while there in the NFL, it seemed like every single field was that AstroTurf, right. And everybody moved away from it because there were some injuries and there was problems with blown out knees and ankles. 
And I feel like it's creeping up again. So I'm wondering about the quality of all this field turf that's going on. And if we have to move back to natural grass type stuff to, to, to get rid of some of these injuries, because these guys are more powerful, they're bigger, stronger, faster than they've ever been. Uh, how can you cover up and protect your knees, though, in the actual game? Well, like, I mean, it's, it's tough. But what I'm saying is, like, I might wear a knee brace on my left knee that could be exposed when I'm throwing the ball as a quarterback, right? Just I'm not injured, but I might wear one for the extra protection, right? I might – I mean, it is hard. That's what, that's what I'm saying. But how do you do that as a wide receiver? I don't know. Maybe you catch the ball over the middle, you get down quicker, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe there's guys that are playing in the NFL right now that are thinking to themselves, like, hey, for me to extend my career – I'm going to get as many yards as I can, and then I'm going to get down without taking a big hit. You know, I, I, the knee, it's hard with the knees. It is. And the, I, don't think, I don't think that guys are so worried about the helmet-to-helmet contact as, like, I, I think most of these defensive backs would go for the big shot by going helmet-to-shoulder or taking their shoulder and going shoulder-to-shoulder and taking advantage of the situation. But there's just too many calls that are ambiguous now. Like, you know, you can have a really, really good hit from from your shoulder to their shoulder, and you can still get flagged, and they can still call it targeting, and there's a chance you're going to be out and you're going to get fined. So they're like, well, screw that. I'm, I'm going from belt buckle and lower to hit, and I'm just going to make a big hit. And you know what? If a knee is collateral damage, I mean, I'm just playing by the rules. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm not trying to hurt people, but I got to get people down. So it's 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 a tough situation. I think I, I I I don't know the statistics. My guess would be that knee and ankle injuries are up since the concussion panic of what 2015, 2014. Uh-huh. So one uh, one pro football quarterbacking question for you. Is Russell Wilson the best quarterback in the NFL right now? Do the Chiefs or the Packers have the best quarterback? Are you surprised how well Cam Newton is playing right away in New England? Um, it's fun for me to see Cam Newton play really well. He is still he – is, he still struggles to throw the ball. It's really, really hard for me to watch – him throw the football. It looks painful to me. But I like the fact that he's in the, the Patriot system where he can where he can have some short throws and kind of take advantage of the offense there. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how Cam does through the through the length of the season because he's got to be able to throw the ball downfield a little bit. Um, but to me right now, Russell Wilson for a few years has been the most underrated quarterback in the NFL, and I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. The touch that he has on the deep ball, um, the ability that he has to make plays with his feet and his arm, and he's just so cool, calm, and collected. I, I just don't know that there's anybody as good as him right now. He's really fun to watch. Um, and as good as he is on the deep ball, he's not forcing those throws. I mean, he, he takes what the defense gives him, and when they give him a deep ball, he's money. And I, you know, as an offensive coordinator, when I was when I was coaching, I really felt like there was going to be between three and five legitimate shots downfield in a game. I felt like if if we got three to five 
um, legitimate throws downfield, and we completed two or three of those, that it was going to be a big game for us. It's hard to complete a high percentage of deep passes, and it feels like every time I see him throw the ball deep, it's complete. And, it, and it's really, really just amazing to watch. He's really, really fun to watch. Well, Riley, you know, RSL's been struggling to get the full three points at home. Uh, you know, you worried about them taking advantage of the three at home and to get into the postseason? <laughs> we're, all, we're all hoping that RSL does very well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think they need to do against the Galaxy? <laughs> I think that I'm a football analyst and that um, that it's a beautiful game. Two-thirds of the game. world, they call it football, Riley. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a beautiful game. You know, when they're out on the pitch tonight, I'm excited to watch. If I ever find out that you took a contract to be a mental coach for a soccer team, any soccer team anywhere on the planet, man, am I going to have some it things to say to RSL. Roscoe Tanner. <laughs> it would be RSL. That would be the place that I would want to be. Anywhere, anywhere on the planet if I find that out. All right, Riley, we appreciate it as always. You're the man. All right, guys. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.